their rejection of him, their promiscuity, and their pursuit of other things as more satisfying than him. And we will see our rebellion in that as well. It will be quite an uncomfortable series, I think. But if you allow it to be, and you receive the message through these prophets with a humble and a repentant heart, it will be more comforting and more healing than you could ever conceive. Because whilst it shows us what God's people do wrong, it shows us who God truly is, what his heart longs for, and why he does what he does as a loving father to call back his wayward children. It shows us the nature of his relationship with his people. And Hosea, if you want a title today, is God's scandalous. Can you say scandalous? Scandalous love. Now, lots of ink has been spilt whether God's love should be called scandalous for a myriad of reasons. I'm not using scandalous and there's something wrong with it, but it is so out of what we think is deserving or fair that God's love is scandalous. And we're going to see it through the gut-wrenching Lived out by Hosea, a story of a husband and a wife relationship. And I just want to say at the start, I realize not everyone is married. Not everyone will be married. Marriage for some has been a great pain. But I would agree with Tim Keller, who says this. He says, if we don't understand Jesus as our bridegroom, regardless of our own position, we miss out on fully understanding the love of God. So understanding Jesus as our bridegroom, whatever situation you're in, is vital to another aspect of understanding the love of God. It is going to be weighty, but I trust it will also be wonderful. I think all the good things of God are weighty, but they are wonderful. So let's pray together, and I really want you to pray with me, not casually because we're about to preach prayer, but as I pray, if you feel this in your heart, Say yes in whatever way. Lord, we invite you to speak to us. Soften our hearts where we are stubbornly blind or hard-hearted or just simply hurt and can't imagine we can go there. Stir us. Speak to us. Have mercy on us. We want to receive God's word, not just hear it. And so we posture our hearts as best as we can. Bless me that I might be a blessing today, that you would be glorified and good would come about in the name of Jesus. Amen. So if you've got your Bibles, Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, setting the scene. Okay, it starts like this in verse 2. The Lord is about to commission Hosea. Okay, he's about to get his first job out of Bible college. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go and have a nice cozy pastoral job around the corner. Go and have a brilliant mega church job. Go and serve a church in Hawaii in some luxury beachside destination. No, the Lord said, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. Like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Quite an assignment. Kick off your prophetic career, Hosea. Go and prophesy breakthrough or victory for the people of God or joy for the nation. 
No, go and marry a prostitute, a woman of promiscuity, or a wife of whoredom, as the ESV would say. Get out of your nice suburb, drive to the other side of town, and find a whore and marry her. And we are told that she, not that she was a prostitute, but that she is a prostitute. That's the tone of Hosea. It's going to be weighty, but it's going to be wonderful. Chapter 2, going on, verse 3. So he married Goma. Can you say Goma? Daughter of Diblaim. And she conceived and bore him a son. So Hosea obeys God. No one ever said that following God, following Jesus, is easy. And he is to have children of promiscuity with her. His obedience to God, in this case, and his marrying Goma, is not to be some casual, help her, stay at a distance, legal equation, not some superficial, rescue her from her ways, relationship that you can keep at arm's length. No, 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 Hosea, you are to intertwine your whole life with her. You're to get emotionally involved. You are to be intimate with her, totally. You are to go all in Hosea. Why? (laughs) Why does God call Hosea to do this? Well, we're told, aren't we, in those verses? Because the land, my people, are like an adulterous wife and guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Or, as the CSB puts it, committing blatant acts of promiscuity and abandoning the Lord. So just before we go any further, spiritual adultery is probably the main way, I think, that Scripture helps us to understand the gravity of sin and its effect on God. So through the Old Testament, you wonder why it makes a lot about adultery to other gods, idolatry, because that's probably the, one of the best ways to understand the effects of sin on God. Adultery is an intimate betrayal. It's a running to another for that which you should be getting from your spouse alone. It is a giving to another that which you should be getting from your spouse alone. There is a oneness in marriage and intimacy that reflects through all its faults as humans the depth of union God has with His people. And when they sin, when you sin, when I sin, we are prostituting ourselves to another God. That's how Scripture paints sin. We are prostituting ourselves to another thing or another person or another experience. We are turning our back on the bridegroom and we are flagrantly in plain sight giving ourselves to another, looking to another person, thing or experience to satisfy ourselves, which says to our bridegroom, you are not enough. That's the picture that Scripture points of what sin is towards God. And here's my first point. (laughs) It gets better. We are all Goma. You are Goma in the story. I am Goma in the story. Don't let it remain some distant historical theological concept because we are all Goma. As Brian Loritz puts it, we all whore after other gods. We all have idol factories in our hearts. We worship status gods, financial gods, sexual gods, and there is not a day that goes by which we do not cheat on God. 
We don't tend to think of it like that. By the grace of God, there's redemption in that. But we need to ask ourselves, when you are worried, where do you turn? That's your God. Or it is a God that we serve. If you are single and you really want to be married, remember those days, it's not the same because I am now married, but when you really want to be married, do you patiently look to God doing things His way or do you take things into your own hands and do them your way, living with someone you're not married to because you don't want to do it God's way, so you've taken matters into your own hand? Our primary sin is not premarital sex or a bad witness. It's your refusal to trust God with your future. When you're stressed, where do you turn? Alcohol, shopping, porn, comfort eating, gossip, endless distracted entertainment. The primary sin is not drunkenness or excess spending, but it's in the fact that you turn to something or someone else for comfort rather than God. Finances. What do you look to most for financial security? One of the reasons Scripture makes such a big deal about tithing your first fruits back to God is it reveals who or what you really trust with your future. We're supposed to trust God with our future, which meant we joyfully give away our first 10% as a way of saying, I trust you to take care of me. It's a scriptural guideline. But if you trust primarily in money for your security, of course we feel like we can't give it away. It's what we depend on for our future or our happiness. And when we say that, we reveal our sin. The real sin is not giving God money. The real sin is that we trust other things. And we trust what money can get us, status, a nice house, a holiday, and security, and so on. The list could go on and on. These are things that my heart wrestles with. They're things that all of our hearts wrestle with. We all, as I said, whore after other gods. We all have idol factories in our heart. We worship status gods and financial gods and sexual gods. There is not a day that goes by when we do not cheat on God. We're all gomers. Now, in this room, what will be happening right now, some people very aware of our sin, it will be weighing on us. Others of us, we know that we sin, and we know this is true, but it's, it's not having the same effect right now. Others of us may be thinking, is that really the case? And if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you're thinking, well, this is just bad news, isn't it? Now, the, 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 the image of a whoring prostitute is shocking because we like to depersonalize sin. Um, and, and there's a balance to be kept here, because if you're a Christian, you repent and you focus on the grace of God. You don't give time to the sin as dominating you. You acknowledge it, but you're free. The moment you're sorry to God, you've been cleansed. Hallelujah. But I think sometimes as a result that we, we can miss the weight of the sin, and, and with that we miss the wonder of grace sometimes. But sometimes we like to depersonalize sin to acknowledgement of wrong done to a distant deity, not betrayal to a covenanted bridegroom. We might think of sin as breaking God's laws, not breaking His heart. We might think of sin as grieving God who sits on the throne, but not God who dwells within. It's very easy to do that. And we can't, in one sense, force ourselves to feel the gravity of sin because that, that's like a weird guilt thing. But we can spend time with God 
and welcome the Holy Spirit to convict us. And scripture says that condemnation just leads to regret that leads to death. Conviction leads to brokenness that leads to repentance that leads to life. It's not about feeling bad. It's about understanding how we grieve God. We are all Gomez. So just take a breath for a moment. And just think, be attentive to how you're feeling, with the presence or the lack of whatever, and just say, Holy Spirit, help me to understand what you are saying. I'm trying to be faithful to the text. I'm not trying to put anything on you. Just painting the picture that Scripture does. But Holy Spirit, what are you saying to us? This is where your book comes in or a note so you can be attentive to it later. Now the story goes on. You can smile. Can you smile? The story goes on. Hallelujah. And if you haven't clicked yet, what God calls Hosea to do is what God does. Right? So Hosea is living out the heart of God for his people. I hope you're getting that. And what we see next is that point number two, point number one, we're all Goma. Point number two, God's love is scandalous. Can you say scandalous? Say it with a smile. Scandalous. Story goes on. Hosea and Goma have three children with significant question marks on who the father is. The third child is called Not My Children. There's a prophetic working out there. We, we don't, is that just a prophetic name? Or is it because the child is someone else's? There's big question marks. By chapter 2, it seems that Goma has left the home. She's left Hosea and she's moved in with rich lovers. In effect, saying as we read in chapter 2, verse 5, I will go after my lovers. She's been taken in by Hosea, rescued by him, cared for him. They've had three children. And now she runs off with other lovers. Humiliating Hosea, everyone begins whispering, we knew it, poor man, call yourself a Christian, should have seen it coming, we knew that would happen, what were you thinking, you fool? Now Hosea was able to divorce her and make public shame of her. He was able to move on. He was allowed to, according to the law, to move on and make a new life for himself. And then in chapter three, and I just want the pastoral note, please do not hear what I'm not saying. I'm not unpacking every pastoral situation about marriage and divorce. That's not what I'm doing today. I'm telling you the story of Hosea. There are, and he's called to go back to her and go back to her. That's not always the right thing to do, as an aside. But let's not lose what Hosea is saying. He is able to divorce her and move on and make a new star. And we read this in chapter 3, verse 1. She's gone out of the home. The reputation's all gone. Everyone knows what she's up to. She's the woman on the streets, Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. God says to Hosea, go again. Go again, Hosea. Love a woman who is an adulteress. Go again. It will cost you more this time. Heartache, embarrassment. You will walk past the men every day who have been doing what they want with her. There will be snickering. There will be betrayal. It will cost you money. She has given herself to a man and possibly a pimp who now owns her. And God says to Hosea, go again and love a woman. Not just get her out of a tricky situation. Go again and love a woman. Who is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, even as the Lord loves you, 
Jesus, go again, the Father says. Though they turn to other gods, my people too are promiscuous. Show them then, then and now today as I preach, show them how I love them. Show them, Hosea, in going again and again and again as I go again and again and again and again and again. Who is grateful that God goes again and again and again and again? So Hosea, it's not in Scripture, this is me. But God, that's just bizarre. That's not equal. It's kind of not right. It doesn't feel justice. And God says, yeah, I know, I get it, Hosea, but I'm with you. but I'm with you. That's ridiculous. She's, that's, yeah, yeah I, I get that. It's true. It's scandalous. But I'm with you. So it goes again, and it costs him everything. Verse 2, chapter 3. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a, however you say that, letach of barley. I think if you, <laughs> sounds more Hebraic. And a letter of Balu, Bali, and I said to her, "You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So I will also be with you. I.e., you're going to be coming in, but we're going to have a period of dying to the old. We're not going to be intimate. We're both going to be separate. Make sure our love is about the real thing. We're going to break off old habits. That's what the that latter bit of the verse is. But he goes back and he buys her, and this is probably what it looks like. Okay." So she's being taken to a slave market, probably by her pimp. She's probably stripped naked, or at least down to the, l the least she could possibly put on, so that the people buying her could know what they are getting. Okay, that's, that's the, that's the scholars would tell us this. She's, I don't know, the, uh, she's probably closing her eyes. It's the last bit of dignity she has left. And the, the auction, the selling begins five shekels anyone for anyone for for five shekels someone pops their hand up thinking i could get a bit of slave labor at least from this everyone's eyes are prying on her knowing what she's like assessing what she might be good for five shekels five shekels ten shekels anyone for ten shekels put yourself in her position ten shekels ten shekels someone pops their hand up fifteen shekels anyone anyone at the back fifteen 15 shekels, and, 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 and Hosea shouts out, yes, 15 shekels. And she hears the voice, maybe with closed eyes. And she thinks, that's Hosea. I remember feeling safe and honored and treasured, but no, I, I can't go back. Look what I've done to him. Shame, guilt, hope, anticipation. No, I, I, can't, I cannot face going back. So then 15, 15 shekels, everyone turns around and sees that it's Hosea buying her. <laughs> they all shake their head. <laughs> Sucker for punishment. You must be desperate. What are you doing? Not worth it. All shake their heads and they all snicker. Ridiculing, perplexed. Someone else puns for, for 16 shekels. Okay, The going price was probably 30 shekels for, for a slave like that. So 16 shekels, someone in the back says, oh, it's a bit of, bit of cheap labor. 16 shekels. This is me imagining what it might be like to try and access what it was like for her. 
Any, anyone higher, anyone higher than, than 16? Uh, and, and so Hosea, he's like, God, you told me to, to go and get her. This is the only way. Only way I, and, and we begin to see that buying her back costs him everything because he's not got any more shekels. <laughs> so, so he says, uh, okay, a homer, 15 and a homer. <laughs> For 50, that's all I got, 15 and a homer. No, it's going for 16. Anyone else? Hosea shouts out, a homer and a lechtech of, of, of barley. And Gomer's there thinking, why are you fighting for me? I'm not, what, what, what is, I don't know if I can face that. And the guy sold to Hosea. <laughs> Hosea. <laughs> and, and the owner thinks, wow, I, I took her from you, and now you're buying her back. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> Give me, so he takes his money and his wares. So the fact that he had to pay more than shekels probably means, we're told that it, it cost him everything, ruined him financially. He probably goes up to her, covers her nakedness, leads her away to safety. That's your story. Yeah. My story even if you've grown up in a good Christian family your whole life. It needs to become what you realize is your story if that's happened. And you wonder why some people shout in worship? Yeah. It's because for them their experience has been this. And they're in no doubt about that. You can't force this emotion. Praise God if you've had a good, secure Christian upbringing. Hallelujah. But ultimately, it's still true of what's happened. And your prayer just needs to maybe be, as mine was, I was a self-righteous, stuck-up Pharisee for many years. Lord, help me see the depths of my sin so I can see the wonder of your grace. For others of us who like, <laughs> don't need any reminding of the depths of our sin to know that this is as Tim Kellerwood says, you do not understand the impact of wrongdoing towards God unless you understand this image. A king gets angry with those of his people who stray, a shepherd with their sheep, a father with their child. But when the person you love most puts themselves in the arms of another lover, it's different. Until you understand the intimacy and betrayal, you do not understand the impact of your wrongdoing, waywardness, or coldness on God. It cost him everything, and yet he held nothing back. He says, Jesus bought you, dear friend, at great cost. And if you would not call Jesus Lord today, he still says, I bought you at great cost. Today you can come to me, and you can know love like Hosea demonstrates it. Relentless love. God's love is scandalous in that it is undeserved. And this is hugely important. God's love is power, not reward, as someone put it. We so often think God's love is reward. Goma, sort yourself out, clean up your ways, and then come. That's not how it happens. She can't. She's an addict. She's a, a sex addict. We might be that. Approval addict. Porn addict. We're addicted to status or power. Or even other things. Shame. Think, oh, that's my identity. Is now it's just shame. My identity is that I'm not good. Whatever it might be, we need the love before it transforms us. If you've ever tried to sort your life out and then felt guilty apart from God's love, thinking you will earn His love, it's not going to work. 
If anyone's told you in church that you've got to clean up your act before you come in, you can't do it. Come in and meet Jesus, and then you clean your act up. So when the Bible says, don't, 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 do, 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 it's expecting that you know the love of God and you want to say deep down, yes. Those do's and don'ts are not put on you so that you get God's love. Because God loves you and he's filled you with that life, he's telling you how to enjoy that life. They are liberating restrictions that God puts on you to liberate you into joy and out of, out of pain. God's love is unlimited and unrelenting. So if you jump ahead to Hosea chapter 11 after pronouncing various judgments that are right, just, and true, and there are judgments, and usually the judgment often comes in the form of the consequence of our actions. You keep turning yourself on God, you keep rejecting God, you keep rejecting God. Sometimes as a parent, you just have to say, well, you need to... See the error of your ways, because you're not, you're not coming back to me, and you go and you encounter consequence. But after doing these things, God kind of catches himself in verse 8, and he says, New Living Translation, Oh, how can I give up on you, Israel? How can I let you go? How can I destroy you like other nations, not my people, or demolish you like Zeboim? My heart is torn within me, and my compassion overflows. God is like, there's justice and there's mercy and his heart overflows. He's not like man. His ways are higher than our ways. You've heard that scripture. You've heard me say sometimes we think we don't understand the will of God. No, what I'm saying is you don't understand how merciful and compassionate and slow to anger he is. Do you know what Gomer's name means? Complete. If there is anyone who is not complete... And there are pieces of her everywhere. It's Goma. But God names her. Says complete. And her story is one of becoming a child of God who is complete. You can be complete, dear friends. Regardless of what you've given of yourself to other gods. At Gethsemane, Jesus says, not my will but yours. Gomer, uh, Hosea says, (laughs) not my will, God, but yours. And it cost him everything, and it cost Jesus everything. Point three, though. We're all Gomer. God's love is scandalous. We are called to embody this love. Because the scandalous love of God turns Gomer's into Hosea's. Have you been turned into Hosea by the love of God? One who, way beyond their personal capacity, is able to pour out love and generosity and mercy. And goes again and again and again because God said and the life of God is in them. So I don't Hosea, I'm sure godly man, but... The depth of his awareness of God's love through this process must have grown. We are all called to embody this love. John 15 verse 12, love one another as I have loved you. It's the fruit that you've grasped, something of the love of God for you. And just as a pastoral note, I I love what God's doing with us as a church. And we're having some wonderful Sunday times with the presence of God, aren't we? There's a slight danger we start attracting people who come for a Sunday fix because it feels good for them and then they withdraw because their life is comfortable and they don't need people but they don't engage in the 
nitty-gritty community life beyond a Sunday. We never want to be a church like that. If you're not a Christian, you're welcome. Come until you meet Jesus. If you call yourself a Christian, find somewhere where you can enjoy the nice moments and where you can knit yourself into a community where you need to embody this love. On Sundays, we do refreshments before the service, not primarily to give you a drink. We would do it before or after. Practically, it works before. But it's so that there is a connection time. Can I encourage you? I know there's complexities of practice. Please arrive early because you're not coming for a worship session. You're coming to be with the believers before God and to build community before God. Understand not everyone can come earlier. I, I totally get that. So this is not a guilt trip, please. It's an appeal. Let us never become whatever it is that might miss forcing us to embody the love of God. Do you hear our heart? So if you can, please come early and meet someone you don't know. God forbid someone walks into church their bravest moment because they are a goma and no one meaningfully connects. They walk out thinking, this is what it's like. No one pursues them like Hosea pursues Goma. Now, we can't control everything. and We've all been in those situations where we've walked in somewhere and think no one's even noticed. But what people experience when you sit with them and talk for them for two minutes, you will be surprised what people who are far from God pour out. You'll be surprised what people close to God when there's time. There's 10, 15 minutes before a service rather than two minutes and the countdown's on. What starts to, starts to come out. Let's be intentional with this. Because God's love, we're to embody his, his love in that. And there's a myriad of other ways. I am just so encouraged that I think we've got near on 80 sign-ups for life groups, I think, which is not far off our adult Sunday attendance. Now, I realize not everyone can do that, and not all of those numbers will go every week, because of, but it's an expression of commitment. And I understand if you can't do that, I'm just saying I'm encouraged by that he wants us who have experienced his outstretched arms to become the outstretched arms of Hosea. To the parent who has been forsaken by their child, go again. To the husband who feels neglected, go again. To the minority who have been sidelined, go again. To the boss who feels un- misunderstood, go again. To the friend who has been forsaken, go again. To the friend whose roommates are relentlessly unkind, go again. To the wife who has been taken for granted, go again, go again, go again. Just as Hosea did, Donald Gray Barnhouse, what a great name, said this, the pursuing love of God is the greatest wonder in the spiritual universe. And I wonder if the band could come up and join us, please. The pursuing love of God is the greatest wonder in the spiritual universe. When we see this love at work through the heart of Hosea, we might wonder if God is really like that. But he is. Think about it. Many years later, He would give man the ability to form the iron in the ground he had given him into nails and to fashion the trees in the field he had created into a cross. Then he stretched out his hands upon that tree and allowed us to nail him there. And in so doing, he took our sins upon himself. This is our God and there is no one like him. Hallelujah. And we are changed by this love to extend this love. Changed from Gomer's into Hosea's. I wonder if you would pray with me. You might want to get your communion.